Father's Day. It's a good day today. I'm glad you're all here. You found yourself their way in, which is exciting. It should only be a one-week inconvenience, but I thank you for enduring that. Um, today I want to do something a little special. I, you know, we've been in the midst of this sermon series called Hiking the Steep Grade, where we're taking a look at success. And today I want to take a look at the, one of the most important things to kind of get right, to, to be successful at, and that's this whole idea of being a parent. And specifically today I want to take a look at what it means to be a successful dad. Now, I came up with this illustration, that, or I came across this illustration that I wanted to start with, because I think this is sometimes the way it is. You, said the doctor to his patient, are in terrible shape. Unless something is done, you're going to die. You're under too much stress. You're not eating right. So this is what you need to do. You need to go home and tell your wife that she must start cooking more nutritious meals. And to help reduce the stress, have her keep the kids off your back so that you can relax. Then make a budget and tell her that she has to stick to it. Boy, if you'll do all these things, you should recover completely in just a few weeks. Otherwise, you're going to be dead within the month. Obviously shaken, the patient said, Doc, would you call my wife before I get home and give her those instructions? When he got home, his wife rushed to him. I just talked to the doctor, she cried. Poor man, you only have 30 days left to live. <laughs> And so I wanted to give some dads some encouragement. You know, as I talk through these things, though, there's going to be some things that I think are, are, are hard realities for us as dads uh, and just parents in general. I think as we go through these things, we're going to see just how amazing God's love for us is and how that can be an encouragement to all of us. But I think one of the first things I want to do is I want to, I want to go through it and look at some of these truths, some of these realities about um, the role that God has given to us in being a dad, okay? And one of the first ones is simply this. Children oftentimes, in fact, I would even go on to say most of the time, follow in the footsteps of their father. I'll explain a little bit more what I mean by that. But study after study just says this, that during the earliest years of a child's life, he or she spends a great deal of time with mom. But the passing years bring change, and father often becomes the example of attitude and action that the child follows. And so like it or not, the example that the father sets about God, about church, about spiritual things, will make an indelible impression on the child's life. Someone once said this, and I think appropriately, fathers are followed. And so this isn't something you just can pass off to mom to do because she can't do it by himself. The role of the father is unique and special. It's, it's why God said to the fathers, you are to have that spiritual headship. There's a reason why. There's a study that kind of talks about this. Um, and it's a, it's a study about this whole idea of keeping kids in the faith throughout their life, right? And so one of the most important things that they found over and over and over, even was, it was kind of replicated again in this youth study that Mike came across, was if you want your kids in the faith for the long term, you've got to get them in church on a regular basis before they leave for college. Does that make sense? You're developing a habit, but you're also creating this relationship, and, and all sorts of things go into that. Now, we also know that from Scripture that God always preserves an elect. So this study isn't going to be um, massively encouraging in one respect. But, but this is what they came across. This starts with the idea that you're in church on a regular basis through your first 18 years of life. The study starts first and foremost by saying if neither parent is there, but they, they drop off their kids every week for you know, 18 years, grandpa and grandma bring them, a friend brings them, uncle and aunt bring them, they said if that all happens and they're there in church, there's a 9% chance that they'll continue in the faith and continue in church the rest of their life. Then it went ahead and did a study. What if mom brings them? What if mom brings the kids every week for, for 18 years and gets them in church and, and puts them in this place where they can hear God's word regularly? 
The study came back and said that if that happens, 27% of the chance, one out of four, will continue in the faith and continue in church for the long term. Then they did a study on what if the guy brought him? What if dad brings him? And this study was true whether in, in um, a single parent home or in a, a nuclear family. If dad brings him, it's 80% of the kids will continue in the faith. And it just shows you what a difference the father makes, doesn't it? It's why God gave the spiritual headship to the father to begin with. It is just a reality. And so and I'm speaking to the guys now. It matters what we do. It matters what we, what we say and how we implement it and how we show our faith to our kids. It is something that, you know, stuff is caught. It isn't so often taught. But when the Father's doing it, there's incredible power to that. Now, I want to I just extend this a little bit. And so one of the best things you can do for your kids is to keep them in church. And if you're a dad, to go with them, okay? Over and over, when we do counseling, I'll, I'll, it's almost incredible. But, but at a time in their child's life where they need to be in church, where they need those relationships that they have there, where they need God the most, it's interesting, because of those difficulties or whatever, families will stop going to church during those crucial times. And the kid most needs you to model that you think Jesus is real, right? Most needs to know that you have a relationship with the Lord that, that matters and that counts. That most needs to know that that's where you go for your source of strength. But over and over, you see families, when they go through hardships with their kids, just bail. During high school years, there's not a worse time to do it. And so it matters. I'm just saying that, number one, the reality that it matters what we do as parents, especially as a dad. Second reality. The best thing that a father can do for his children is to love their mother. Does that make sense? Next to the close and personal relationship that you have with God, God's second top priority for us as husbands, as dads, is to love our wives. That's the way he set it up. And when that goes right, our kids benefit. There's actually studies that have been done, and it develops security. It develops role models. It develops what it means to love. It develops this idea of working through issues and problems and getting to the other side. It shows you so many healthy things. It's, it's an amazing thing. And he, so Paul's talking to the Ephesian husbands and, and also to us, and he says, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Paul says, if there is this kind of love in the family, then the home is amazingly blessed. You know, you look at our culture right now, and I think we struggle with both of these, don't we? As, as dads in our culture, we struggle amazingly with these. Even sometimes in our Christian culture, I think mom's the one that's, that's the spiritual giant and, and heading the show, you know, and, and sometimes, sometimes the dad gets left behind or the dad doesn't know where his role is. There's another one, too. A Christian father will arrange to spend time with his children. And no matter how fathers try to escape this idea, the fact remains that ultimately we control our time and we can actually spend it in most cases just about how we, how we want to. Now, fathers, I can say this without a doubt, then, that being a good father and a good husband is probably the most challenging thing you'll ever have to do in your life. And if you're like most men, even those who have had poor fathers or poor experiences or harmful experiences with their own father growing up, if you have kids, you still want to be a good dad. You saw how not to do it. You saw how what you don't want your kids to experience. You desperately want to be a good dad. But to be a good father, you need a good role model. You need somebody to look at and say, oh, that's how you do it. Oh, that's what makes sense. Oh, that's what's good for her kids. And yet in our culture today, you start asking, is there such a thing as a perfect father? I mean, where do you even look? And yet as you go to God's word, he says, absolutely there is. And so today, I guess I just want to spend the rest of the time by looking at what can we learn about being a father? And for moms and, and everybody else, this still applies to us as well, to you guys as well. 
Um, but what we can learn about being a father by looking at our perfect father, God in heaven? Because there's things that he teaches us. And when we do that, one of the first things we find or see about God is that he loves his kids. He loves his children. There are many passages in scriptures that we speak of when we speak about God's love for his children. But one of my favorites is 1 John 4 verse 9, or verse 19. It says this, we love because he first loved us. Now, why do I think that one's so neat? For several reasons. Because it reminds us that God does not wait for us to meet his expectations before he loves us. That he doesn't wait for us to make him proud before he loves us. He doesn't wait until we measure up to his standards before he loves us. It says here that he simply loves us, and then he loves us first. Now, I was trying to think of an example to kind of pull that out. And for me, it, it, was, it was the night when, when my oldest daughter was born, Katie. And, and Beth was wiped out, so she was sleeping, and it was like 12 at night, and she had woken up, so I'm comforting her. And I'm looking, this is the first day I was a dad, right? And I'm looking at her, and I'm holding her, and I, I'm just overwhelmed because I realized that everything in my life has changed. In that moment, my perspective changed. In that moment, I realized there's this person that is completely dependent upon me. And in that moment, and, and I didn't understand it before, but I, I couldn't comprehend and I couldn't believe how much I love this little kid who had just been here a couple hours. It was dumbfounded to me. It was amazing to me. It, it, it changed me in that moment. Does that make sense? And I loved my daughter first. And if you can get that and apply that to God's love for you, you know how complete it is and you know how much he loves you and you get that he loved you first. You go to John and you see that he adds to that. He goes on to say how complete and how constant and how unconditional it is, that we can't earn it, that we can't escape it, that we can't erase it. Now, there may be times where he's angry when we disobey. Is that fair? We may, he may be saddened when we stray away from him. He may be sorrowful when we sin. But he never, ever stops loving us. Some of you have had kids that have grown up, grown up and, and they've made some decisions that have been counterproductive or, or harmful toward themselves and, and they're toward their eternity. And I know as parents you grieve that. It, it makes you sorrowful. It, it keeps you up at night. You pray over and over. You, why? Because you care. Because you love them desperately. And they can grieve you and you still love them at the same time because they're your kid. You don't love your neighbor's kid in the same way, I promise you, right? But they're your kid. Irma Bombeck, anybody remember her? I don't know, she was a writer from the way back, and, and she wrote this one time. I just kept it. I thought it was cool. She, she wrote, when the Lord was creating fathers, he started with a tall frame. An angel standing nearby said, what kind of father is that? If you're going to make, make children so close to the ground, why do you have to put fathers up so high? He won't be able to shoot marbles without kneeling. He won't be able to tuck a child into bed without bending. He won't even be able to kiss a child without stooping. But God smiled and said, yeah, but if I make him child size, who would the children have to look up to? And when God made the father's hands, they were so large, and the angel shook his head and said, you know, I don't think you want to make hands like that. Large hands are so clumsy. They can't manage diaper pins, small buttons, rubber bands, or ponytails, or even remove splinters caused by baseball bats. But God smiled again and said, I know, but they're large enough to hold everything a small boy empties from his pockets at the end of the day. It's small enough to cup a child's face in his hands. Then God molded long, slim legs and broad shoulders, and the angel nearly had a heart attack. Boy, this is the end of the week, all right, he said. How is he going to pull a child close to him without the kid falling between his legs? God smiled and said, you know, a mother, a mother needs a lap. 
but a father needs strong shoulders to pull a sled, balance a boy on a bicycle, or hold a sleepy head on the way home from the circus. God worked throughout the nights, giving the father a few words, but a firm voice and eyes that saw everything. And finally, almost as an afterthought, he added tears. And he turned to the angel and said, Now, are you satisfied that he can love as much as a mother? The angel was silent. Yes, God loves his children. But the reality is that so do we, right? God goes on in his word and gives us other things as well. As we go to God's word, we see that God was always quick to encourage his children. You know, as an example of that, a psychologist told a story one time when he was a little boy. I guess he was in class and he failed a math test. So the teacher wrote a note and sent it home with him. It said, your son doesn't have an aptitude for mathematics. He just can't handle math. And the mom and dad wanting to be conscientious, they sat down with him and they said, you know, son, I, I guess you just don't have an aptitude for math. So from then on, he said, I flunked every single math test imaginable. Then one day, a teacher put up a problem on the board and asked the class to solve it, but nobody could figure out the answer. I looked up at the problem, and suddenly I realized I knew the answer. So I held up my hand, and everybody just laughed at me because they knew I couldn't solve it. But I walked up to the blackboard, worked the problem out, and came up with the right answer. He said, it was then that I realized that it wasn't my lack of aptitude at all. It was just that everybody had told me I couldn't do math. And because I believed it, I never even tried. Now contrast that with how God, throughout Scripture, encourages his children. He encouraged Moses, the burning bush, right, to, to go talk to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, and tell him to let his people go to deliver this nation of Israel. He, he encouraged Joshua as Joshua set out to the promised land to conquer all, until, all these armies that were bigger and stronger than he. And he said this, and he told him this, I guess, not just with his words, but with his presence and with his, his, his assistance. He said, have I not commanded you, Joshua? Be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified. Don't be discouraged. For your Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. In other words, I'm here. In other words, God saw what his children could do over and over and over as you go through Scripture. He saw what they could be, and he encouraged them to go out and be all sorts of things. I think sadly today many parents, and I don't care how spiritual or conscientious they may be at times, I think today we're more prone to give messages laced with criticism than we are encouragement. But it's so important to watch our words. The Apostle Paul challenges us. He says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And then God goes on to give us this other one, and it's a big one. I think our society is, is slowly getting worse and worse at this. But God also disciplines his children. Recently, I heard a story about triplets, three young boys who uh, got along really well, right? They saw everything alike. They were loyal to each other. When one of them got in trouble, none of them would tattle on each other. A neighbor was kind of bemused by this, and he asked the dad one day, you know, how do you know which one to discipline when they get in trouble? Because they don't tell on each other. And the dad said, oh, it's just easy. I just sent all three to bed without supper, and in the morning, I spanked the one with the black eye, right? <laughs> now... I don't know about that as a determining the, the, the method for the guilty party, but I do know this, that God says in his word that he is good and that God is loving and that God is the perfect father. It says that his intentions and actions are never evil or unloving. And I know life is hard and I know life is tough, but you have to understand in God's word it says that he is always looking out for your good he always desires good for you. Sometimes that's discipline. Sometimes that's, that's hard moments. 
but he desires more than anything for you to be with him one day in heaven. And he walks every step of your journey with you, knowing that you can't do it alone, that you need his strength and his comfort and his power. He disciples his kids. He does not discipline in spite of his goodness. He disciplines because of his goodness. He does not discipline in spite of his love. He disciplines because of his love. In Deuteronomy 8.5, it says, Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Proverbs 3, verse 12, The Lord disciplines those he loves as a father to the son he delights in. The book of Hebrews says, Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those that have been trained by it. In other words, a man who disciplines his kids in love, right, and he does this wisely and he does this consistently, is reflecting the character of God. We discipline because we love our children, because we don't want them to go the wrong way, because it teaches responsibility, because it teaches that wrong actions can have negative consequences in life. We do it because we love them and we want them to live right. And finally, God goes, in light of all his love and encouragement and discipline, I think we fathers must realize that it is our responsibility to bring our children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. But that's all the way through Scripture, that that is God's call to us dads, to model God's love for our children, to teach our kids knowing Jesus, to show them the way to heaven. William James once said this, the best use of your life is to invest it in that which outlasts it. So the question becomes then, what is it that's going to last the longest? And the answer to that is this. The things that are going to last the longest are the things that happen in eternity. And that includes you. And it's going to include your spouse and your kids too. And so what's going to make the difference in your eternity and where you spend it? And where your kids go and, and where you go? Is it going to be money or popularity? Is it going to be power? Is it going to be fame? Is it going to be friends? No. Ultimately, the only thing that makes a difference is Jesus. It's because of Jesus that we have forgiveness for all our sins that we've ever done. It's because of Jesus that God has wiped away our guilt and now looks at us as perfect. It's because of Jesus that our, our eternity is secured in heaven, the actually place that we want to go. It's because of Jesus. And so I'll just ask you, what's really important in your life? Doesn't the answer have to be Jesus then? And if you're a dad, doesn't it have to be sharing Jesus with your family? One of my favorite verses is Acts 11, verse 36. It says this, For when David had served God's purpose in his generation, he died. It doesn't sound by much, but notice this. He, he served God's purpose, and that's eternal, and he did it in his generation, which is a contemporary setting. He served God's purpose, and that is timeless, but he did it in his generation, which is timely. He took eternal truths and he communicated them in the language of his day and we call it the Psalms. He served God's purpose in his generation and then he died. My prayer is that God can say that and that your kids and your grandkids can say that about you. That you served God's purpose in your generation and then you went on to be with the Lord. And my prayer today is that might be true of every one of us. Guys, happy Father's Day. It's an amazing thing, and it's an amazing privilege to be able to raise kids, moms too. But it's a big responsibility, and it's hard at times. My prayer today is that you would keep first things first and show your kids Jesus.
And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we are so thankful uh, for our kids. But life is hard, and and life gets complicating, and there's so many other things that we have to achieve, and so often we lose sight of what's most important. Father, we forget heaven's the most important, and then we forget that not only do we want to go there, but we want everybody else to go there. And Our prayer this morning, though, is simply this. That you'd help give us pause in our life to relook at how we're investing our time, our money, our, our resources. But that you'd help us keep first things first. And for dads, for moms, part of that's got to be each other and part of that's got to be our kids. And it's not just spending time with them, but it's also showing them you. God, you are so loving and so incredible and so powerful. And you forgive and you strengthen and you give hope. Father, our families need that. Help us be wise enough. Help us have the will and the power, Lord, to show our families just how amazing you are. But Father, strengthen us. We pray that today in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Amen.